Man, welcome to another episode of um, the Real Estate Guru Podcast. I got a very, very special guest. I got Chris Synagogue, formerly known as Investor. Um, now they calling him the mayor of, of Houston. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Man, I'm just happy to be here, bro. Thank you, thank you. We, we've been talking about this for a long time, so I'm glad we finally got an opportunity to get it done. Yeah, I think it took me like a year to get you out, man. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. I, I'll say this like you're like, you know how people say they're busy, but they're really not busy. Like mm-hmm. you're really busy. Like the last time I talked to you was like during the weekend, and I think you flew out to Tampa Bay. And mm-hmm. You're like a really, really, really busy guy. Man, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm I'm on the mission to uh you know really change the culture by you know, through examples instead of us just having conversations and debates about things. It's, it's like my goal is like I'm gonna shut up and I'm just gonna do the work. Take away all the excuses. Okay. Um, I want to say you, you're like one of the, you, I, I don't want to say you single-handedly changed Fit Forward, <laughs> but you're one of the main reasons. Yeah. Um, You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple people that were before me, but my mission was to make sure as many people as possible knew about what was coming to Fifth Ward. Usually what happens in our neighborhoods is gentrification happens when, an outside developer comes in and buy thing, buys things up and they have their own plan. And usually in those circumstances, we don't know about it and we're oblivious to it. And we still call it the hood. And, and so we, we disregard it, but you come back two or three years, two or three years later and the, the pricing of all the real estate is so expensive that we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so I started studying those plans when I was like a regular flipper. And I was like, well, let me, let me figure out how to reset and how to do something different this time. Let me see if I can, if I, if I can have a bigger impact. So I started studying the city's plans and where redevelopment was going and, you know, what the future the future projections were for what was going to be the next market. And I saw Fifth Ward was like the last historically black neighborhood inside the loop close to downtown Houston that had not been uh, redeveloped yet. So I knew everything was coming to that area. And um, once once I, I bought there in 2013, so I bought an entire block back then, owner finance. So I didn't go to a bank. I just went to a, somebody who inherited property from their parents. And I was like, look, I'll, I'll give you a down payment and make payments to you. I need you to act like the bank for me because I knew what was coming. And after I did that, 2015, the biggest developer in Houston announced that they had bought 150 acres mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, bet, game on. So my, my bet paid off. And I want to make sure I get as many people on board with me so that the bet can pay off for all of us. Because we usually just complain about gentrification and we try to stop it politically or whatever. But what we really need to do is say, hey, once they come in, we're going to control everything around it. We're going to buy up everything early before it starts looking nice so that when it does look nice, we, we, we have benefited from all that value appreciation. You know, and, and we've, we've decided and controlled what was coming back into the community. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's really just been what I've been doing. So, yeah, so I would say there are, there are other developers and investors that were already in Fifth Ward, like you said. Mm-hmm. I was just the one that was most, most vocal. And, you know, the, the most out front telling everybody, hey, this is a chance for us to control our own narrative this time instead of having a victim mentality or the complaining mentality about what happens in those neighborhoods. Oh, I mean, look, I, I want to give you my give you your flowers. Like, I know I just I told you the story like a couple of days ago. But uh, so we brought a house in Fifth Ward. Um, I think we brought a lot. It was a house. The house was like really, really run down. Yeah. I think the ARV was like 160. And then we had a lot next to that mm-hmm. and we got it for like forty five thousand. yeah at the time the lots were going for like 20. Mm-hmm. so we got we got it pretty cheap like twenty thousand twenty five thousand for the house mm-hmm. and 
I was like selling to all my my buyers and like yeah. nobody saw the vision. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, do y'all see what this man is doing over here by yeah. six by what's that, 59 or 16? Uh, 59. 59. I was like, I like he just like he you just had a framing, you had like the orange yeah. fence. Yeah. And I was like, dude, once he fit, I was telling everybody, once he finishes that, yeah, it's gonna fifth ward is gonna change. Like yeah. the whole game is gonna change. Yeah. And Luckily, I, I went half with this other wholesaler, but I still made like ten thousand dollars. So you, you, you made me, you made me ten thousand dollars. And I didn't even know you. you. That's know crazy. <laughs> see, that's, that's the power of you know when we do things in our own communities, man. We think it's all bad, uh, but it's not. I mean, mm -hmm. I took I took a site that was an abandoned grocery store that had prostitutes and drug addicts living on the property. Neighbors didn't even want their kids outside at night. That's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. Clean it up, and then re remove all of that riffraff, and then build new construction homes. And the buyers look like us. They, they young black working professionals. Probably came from a neighborhood just like that. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that went to college, became successful. Now they want to move back to a neighborhood that they feel comfortable with. And that's what they did. They came. They came back. And people thought that that was going to be impossible. But I, I knew that because of the proximity to downtown and everything that was coming, I knew it was going to be a win. And so yeah. So when I started that project at that point in time, when you made that ten grand, mm -hmm. I was probably about fifty grand in the hole. Yeah, yeah. Because I had I, number one, I tore all the buildings down because none of the banks. I went to twenty three different lenders. Nobody would, would mess with the project because there was no new construction in that zip code. Exactly. In Correct. Um, and then I hired the wrong team. What I did was I went to a bunch of people that talked my language, had the same ambition, had connections. But where I messed up is that I didn't verify had they actually completed a project before. So they started stuff, but they never finished it. Yeah, they 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 they, they talked a lot. They had the right energy. They had the right connections, but it's just little things that needed to be tweaked mm -hmm. that they didn't know how to do. And mm -hmm. I, I was paying them as consultants. I, I was forty grand in the hole from that. So you was paying them as consultants. I, I was paying them as consultants for the connections, for the work that they were doing. Um, and that's a lot of people get suckered into situations like that. So yeah. that, that was a real learning lesson for me, because um, then I, you know, when I tore everything down that eliminated all of my possible revenue from the property because Correct. what I did, so from 2013 to 2016, what I was doing with the property was I did single room occupancy for non-violent parolees that would come out of prison for felonies. It was really mm -hmm. hard for them to get anywhere to live. Mm -hmm. So I was doing single room occupancy for them. I ended up taking that program and letting my property manager take over it. I, bought, I, I gave her a bonus so she could put a down payment on another property. And so she moved all the tenants over there and now she's the owner of that. That, mm -hmm. that business but then at that point i'm like i'm taking a big gamble i'm gonna, I'm gonna tear everything down because i want to build this new construction and all the, the banks were like well you know you got all these existing buildings on there we don't take that risk so how bad were you like you were like fifty thousand in debt like you had to like fifty thousand dollars gone in the wind like i've paid these consultants and i'm realizing that they are not going to get me across the finish line so so i gotta so hit reset so what so Take me through the process, like when you renegotiated with the owner to, to take some of the equity, like so. Okay, because so, you, 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 you yeah. gave him 10% down, right? I gave him 10% down. So okay. at that point in time, this was when Fifth Ward, when they was calling it the bloody nickel. Yeah, yeah. You know, nobody, yeah. Wanted, nobody wanted to have anything to do with it. But I'm looking at the property right off of 59. You know, I can see downtown and I know all the redevelopments coming. I'm like, okay, this is a prime site to take advantage of early. So I go to the seller, the owner at that point in time. And uh, the older guy, Jewish guy, mm -hmm. um, actually had a drug problem. And uh, I was like, you know, I, you know, what do you want? And he was like, I want half a million dollars. I'm like, man, there's no, there's no, there's no way that the value of this property, if I try to go to a bank or get it appraised, is going to appraise for half a million dollars. Correct, correct. But then I thought about it. And I was like, okay, 
Well, let me let me think about this not so much about as a, a transaction, but as a partnership. But like, like, like what? See, I I think I might have I might have gave up right there. I would have been like, this man, crazy. Mostly would have guess. So what? What, what, what kept you on that trajectory? Like, what because what made you? What made you just know like this is it? Like this is going to change my life. Man, I didn't even know it was going to change my life. I just knew that it was my next step because you know I've been flipping houses in two thousand eight. I had rental properties, and I just wanted to change that model. I was like, how can I control? more property at once. How can I control entire blocks? Because mm-hmm. before Buy the Block was even afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, how can I how can I have a big So, so this is before the Rick Ross song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way before the Rick Ross song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so when I so I go to him and I'm like, look, okay, you want this much money. Nobody's gonna give me that much. But if you become the bank, let me put let me give you 10% down. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna give you five I'm not gonna give you half of me. I'll give you four fifty over twenty over twenty years. So I'm gonna give you ten percent down and we, I'm gonna start making you payments every month. Like that, right? And then, and then you said like he he got the properties from his family that nobody wanted, so he was like like yeah. the outcast and, and yeah. And so and 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 that's that's my secret too. Like I I bought three real blocks. Yeah. In Fifth Ward. Yeah. I own almost a whole block in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, by Southern where I went. Okay. All of those properties come from two sources. One came from a church that's downsizing. The other three came from the heirs. Of real estate investors that had big portfolios, and when they passed, their children inherited a lot of real estate. How'd you find him? How'd you find him? Like, how'd you like for the people that they want to mirror what you're doing? Like, how'd you mm-hmm. find him? Man, you know, it's, it's it's not an easy process to find them. Um, but you know, the wholesalers have a system that, that they correct, use for, correct. Where, you, where you're looking for uh, a non-owner occupied residence. Correct. Right. So you you can. You, the easiest way to do that is look at the tax rolls. The owner's name and address is different from the address of the property. And so what you do is you can look up those names and you're looking for somebody. Then you can go back in and search their name specifically. And if it comes up with a whole bunch of different properties, that tells you that's somebody you probably want to talk to. Okay. Because they got a whole bunch of different real estate. And they have to they have to be in a position where they're they're tired, you know, they're burnt out and they want to get rid of it and the kids don't want to take it over. Because people always talk about uh real estate actually being a, a, a vehicle to create generational wealth. It can only do that if you set up the right systems. Correct. So these heirs that I'm talking to have parents that didn't set up systems. Correct. These, the, like it, this guy specifically, the other his other siblings are lawyers, mm-hmm. dentists, doctors. They don't want to be full-time landlords, mm-hmm. but there was property management in place for a lot of other stuff. So when they inherited it, the property management is still running the real estate while they're running their own life. Mm-hmm. But most of us, or, or a lot of people that don't understand that point, um, or still trying to run it day to day themselves. So when when your dad or your, your mom dies, she's like, I don't want to take over that headache. I don't want to yeah, deal with managing these yeah. these tenants that don't pay and you know all these repairs. That that's not the life I want to live. Do you have everything set up for your two, your two kids right now, or are you are you? Still oh yeah, I do one hundred percent. Neither one of I'm not pressing either one of my kids to do what I do. I'm I'm going to hand a system down to them to where whatever vision they got, whatever they want to do their life, they can, but they will inherit all this real estate. But it's going to run on autopilot. They they're going to inherit a business. And, and not a job. What if they decide to sell everything? Are you cool with that? I'm cool with that too. I mean, whatever they want to do. You know, I mean, because I'm educating them on what money is and how money works. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to sell it to put themselves in a better position to do something else, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just want to make sure that whoever they sell it to, they put it in responsible hands so that we don't turn over anything else in our neighborhood. Correct, correct. Yeah. So, so that's all in your will and everything. Yeah, so that's all in the will, of course. That's dope. Yeah. And you can do what's called beneficiary deeds too, where it's a shortcut where um, it's like a deed that's set up that whenever you pass, mm-hmm. as soon as they file your death certificate, mm-hmm. they take ownership. So mm-hmm. you have to go through the whole will process. You have to go through a whole lot of other stuff. After Davies and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, man, that's a headache. I had to do yeah, so many of those. Yeah, yeah. 
So you skip all that. So, but back to your original question yeah. about uh, how I got him to convert to equity. So, so that worked out for a little while because what I said to myself is like, okay, he wants four fifty. I'm gonna give him four fifty now, ten percent down. I really only paid him forty five thousand dollars to control the property. Yeah, I didn't even use my own forty five thousand dollars. I went and got another a real estate investor that had a bunch of money, and I was like, here. You want to get in? I had him put up thirty thousand of it, so I only came out of pocket fifteen. Fifteen. So now fifteen thousand out of my own pocket, I control this entire block. But my vision is, I know all the redevelopment that's coming. So, so, so you're you're in the whole fifteen that fifteen thousand, and then the forty you gave the other people. That's later. So, right. Oh, right. so that's later. Oh, that's okay, later. okay. So, so, but I'm I'm talking about when I first got the property. Okay, okay. So okay. when I first got the property, yeah. So I'm in, so. I I spent fifteen. I made that back from the rent from doing the parole and stuff. So that oh, was, okay. So, so that part was okay. Okay, cool. Right? But once I got into the project, like two or three years, I was like, okay, this is a partnership. It's really a partnership because he's allowed me to pay him over time for this. And I know by the time that big development starts, mm-hmm. the value of the property is going to be way more than the 450 I'm paying for it now. Mm-hmm. So it's like a layaway plan. Correct. Right? Yeah. Layaway plan where you use other people's money to put, yeah. to put it together. Correct. Right? So then at the point when another builder starts doing a lot of new construction in the neighborhood and the stuff is selling without it even going on MLS. Correct, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well now it's time for me to make a play. So then I go back to the owner, the original yeah, owner, yeah. and I'm like, look, I know we got this 20 year plan, right? Yeah. I was like, how would you like to get all your money paid off in four years? Hey, well, what do you say? He's like, well, how the hell are you gonna do that? Uh huh. I said, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna release this lien, you no longer have a mortgage. Oh, so he had a lien on it? Yeah, he had a mortgage lien. So, so he was on drugs, but he still was like? I, I did that part too. Oh, you did that for him? Well, I, I, yeah, because, I, because, you know, I mean, I wanted him to feel secure and structured. Oh, okay, that, okay, that, that's, that's cool. That's cool. You know? Yeah, and plus, for, legally, for me to have the right type of ownership, I had to do that. Okay. You know. Okay. So, uh, you know, for anybody to recognize that I'm the true owner through the deeds and then, uh, you know, the deed of trust and everything. Correct. Correct. Okay. So what? I, so what? What I go to him at that point and say is, look, okay, um, let's switch this up. You're gonna take the mortgage off the property. We're gonna form a joint venture LLC. Okay. Now the LLC is gonna own the land. Okay. And as I build each house. I'm about to build 14 houses. I give you twenty thousand dollars per house till I pay off the balance that I owe you. Okay. And I'm like, that's gonna take me a whole lot less time than me paying you over the next four years. So now he, he was like excited when you said that. Yeah. So he was excited. So this is what I, so so we did that. So now I become the managing member, president of the LLC. Okay. He's a partner in the LLC. Okay. Now when I go to the bank and say, hey, I want funding for the project. Now. I own that land free and clear. So, it's so he LLC was like, he was like, a, he was like a silent partner, basically. He's basically, he became a silent. So partner. he was like Jay Z. He was like Bigs. Yes, okay. silent, silent partner. Put the land up in the deal. Okay. Now, now when I walk into a bank, I walk into the bank saying, "Hey, I got an asset worth at that time is worth about three fifty, you know, with no debt on it." Okay. So I need money to do my construction. So the bank still told me no. They still told you no. They still told me no, but it's okay. What I did was <laughs> I got creative. I went and talked to other people that had money in four hundred one k's from a previous previous employers. That's when you did the crowdfunding. No, no, not, not the crowdfunding. This this one this one was before the crowdfunding. This okay. one was, um, I had somebody roll over their self directed, roll over their four hundred one k to a self directed IRA. This is several people. Just one person. And one one person. Uh, yeah, my, my investor in that project. Her name was Kim. Okay. Um, she used to work for Shell. And uh, you know she was she was high made a lot of money so she had like a quarter of a million dollars in her twenties. Okay, she had a quarter of a million dollars sitting in a retirement account. Um, and so what I got her to do is roll it over to a self directed IRA, which a self directed IRA is a self uh, self directed individual retirement account where you can you, you're not dependent on some big fund like Fidelity or somebody to place your your retirement funds. When you put it in a self directed uh, account, you can 
invested in whatever you want. It could be a business, you could become a lender, you can invest it in real estate. Mm -hmm. So she became my joint venture partner uh, on the funding side for the first phase for me to get the construction started on this block. And my goal was if I can get two or three of them built and sold, now I set my own comps. Okay. So that's what I did. So number one, just first step was you know converting the, the owner finance over to a joint venture. Number two was bringing in private capital do thing and so when you made the money i was in the stage of i had just gotten her on board and we were getting ready to start construction Correct. so i told you i lost forty thousand paying those other folks yeah are, are you still cool with them i'm cool with them i mean you know it's, it's a lesson learned i mean okay. i mean it, it wasn't their fault they thought that they can get it done i thought that we can get it done it so you wasn't like i want my money bro i couldn't i was it was, it was i call that real world tuition bro okay that's cool that's real cool. world tuition so then the last 10 that i spent was me figuring out okay i just got to find somebody that's actually done it so I, I talked to a whole bunch of different builders because, you know, flipping houses is way different from new construction ground up. And so um, uh, I found a builder finally that was like, okay, I'll show you, but my time is valuable. He's like, so you got to pay me 10 grand up front as a consulting fee. And I'll give you all my connections. I'll give you my architects. I'll, I'll, give, I'll show you the whole process. He's like, and if you're not successful, I keep the 10 grand as a consulting fee. He's like, but if you are successful, We'll take the 10 grand and put it towards the construction cost that I'm going to charge you for building the houses for you. Oh, that's not bad. No, that's not bad. Yeah, it's dope. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not that's bad. Dope. So like that's I said, dope. so when you made when you made that money, I was at that stage of it. Oh, okay. I, I had got him on board. We were we were past the point of uh, you know, plans, submitting, everything was approved, and we were getting ready to start construction. And so yeah, so but that but and, and that that vision that I had for that, you know, so I said it took it, it put it, it set me back a little bit, but it's been worth it. You know? Super duper. All my buyers look like us. They're from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And and I, I just proved that we can do things in our own communities, even when banks tell us no. Yeah, like, I, I saw you on no Facebook. You went yeah. viral. You uh it was like a picture of you and that black dude by like I think you had the uh I think you had the plywood up or something on the yeah. side. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that boy, that boy yeah. Chris. Yeah, it was like uh, I think it said uh bought his first house of twenty two, building his first block yeah, of thirty five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, So yeah, man, I mean that's you know, that's really been really been my focus is like we can take away all these myths about what we can't do and not to mention my whole team from the brokers to the mortgage Correct. agents to the title company everybody looks like us everybody's from the community you know so we can't collectively do these things and we can go in in neighborhoods where there isn't any activity and change it around on our own and then you, you don't you don't go up on your rent correct yeah so yeah so you, you can bring up the crowdfunding so that's my second project so when we talk about our communities we talk about gentrification uh when you bring in new construction, people always say, well, can the community afford it? Correct. And um, the one, the first ones I built, no, the existing residents can't afford it, but I did it on purpose. I want the higher income people that look like us, that are from neighbors like that to move back. To and then, to so so they, they brought up the value, right? They, they, they bring up the value and they also change the demographic. So the reason why people don't understand why you can't get a grocery store back in the neighborhood. Okay, a grocery store has a 3% profit margin, mm -hmm. right? So they're not going to go into a neighborhood where they realize everybody is buying canned goods and box goods off the shelf. That's not where their profit is. Correct. Their profit is off the fresh meat, the produce, you know, the fruits, the vegetables, all that kind of stuff. Actually, I, I used to work at Walmart. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's where their profit is. Yeah. So no matter how much you try to beg them to come back, they're not going to come back until they see the incomes change. So my goal was, okay, let me figure out places where I can bring higher incomes back to the community without displacing anybody. And so that's, that's exactly what I did. Um, like, like I said, that block was old grocery store drug houses. You know, now it's the new construction, uh, high income, young black professionals uh, between the ages of maybe 28, 35, making 70 to 150 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if I, keep, if I can continue to do, that, do, to do that process on properties 
where nobody's living there. I'm not displacing anybody. So hold on, hold on, hold on. so at this point, you just met, you just sold all the five of those those houses, correct? Mm-hmm. So how how much money you got right now for 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 this project? Well, okay. So the co- the houses cost me about one eighty to build each. I sold them for. I started selling the first one at two seventy nine. Okay. So the last one at two ninety nine. Okay. Okay, but then I got land costs and I got development costs in there too. So how how much you netted? How much you netted? Uh, about fifty grand per house. So you yeah. was like it's like two like fifty. It's like quarter million. But I got okay. I got to reinvest that because I'm building on that same block. I own the whole block. So right? so so that two fifty you don't even touch that. No, I don't touch that because that's that's going back into the pot. Okay. I'm building nine more. Okay. You know, I'm building nine more on, on on the same block, and I'm doing some three stories with that. So, so how how much you put down on on this on this this set? This is like eight. This is eight, correct? I, I told you what I put down in the very beginning, right? The fifty the fifty thousand. The forty five. I mean the forty five, correct? And I told you I had an investor put a thirty of it, right? Yeah. So fifteen thousand what I put down. Okay. Because remember when I went when I went back to the bank to do the new construction? Yeah. Number one, I had the investor that had the two fifty. Correct. And I had three hundred fifty thousand dollars in equity. Oh yeah, 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 correct, correct. So the first phase. We use her money Correct. to start it. The second phase of the five, we use the equity in the land. So, so do you pay her back or or, or yes, yeah, she, she yeah, oh, she doubling up. She's gonna double up by the time the project finishes. Okay, so okay, so so before before you officially done, she's gonna make like a half a million. Oh yeah, at least, and then she's probably gonna reinvest and we're gonna do something else with it. Damn. Okay. But that, okay. But that's the point of early moving <laughs> advantage. But back to your question about uh, you know, not raising the rents. So as I'm doing projects like that, people ask, well, what are you doing to ex- protect the existing residents? Correct. So I'm like, okay, well, the the lowest hanging fruit to protect protect existing residents are the long term renters, because guess what? If you want to control the rents that's, that 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 people are charged, you got to own a damn real estate. Correct. Right. So what I did was in that case, in that case, that's why I did the crowdfund. I found another uh, or a landlord that owned the whole block, mm-hmm. and the kids didn't want to take the property over, and they were trying to list. They, they listed it. They were trying to sell it, and I went back to them, and they were like asking 1.5 for it. But they didn't have the documentation for a bank to justify paying 1.5. 1.5, correct. Right. They didn't so have, that was on the MLS. That was on the MLS. 1.5. It was sitting there stagnant, and uh, but they didn't have any like accounting records to really show all their expenses, all this other kind of stuff. So I sat down with them and I was like, number one, if even if I did pay you 1.5 for it, Uncle Sam would take so much of it that you would walk away with maybe a million, maybe a little less than a million. Correct. So you know, let's let's work a deal. I was like, let me let me owner finance it from you. I'll give you something down and let me let me own it for two years. Let me establish all of the accounting records that's required so I can get a real valuation. Then I can go back to a bank and, and refinance and now, pay you off. Now how long did that take? Like you had to really, really build a rapport? Like how how long yeah, how like, long was that process? That, like it, it took a few months. It took a few months. But luckily, I don't want people to think like you just you just you know, got the money, you yeah, sat down nah. with them, and it was like, and then they were nah. like, okay, let's do this. This was like, this like a month and a half of us meeting up several times. Several times. And then them getting comfortable with me, me walking the site, and them really realizing no other buyer looks like me. Correct. And anybody else that's trying to buy that is from outside of our community. Correct. And they Correct. got a different vision. They're going to buy it, kick everybody out, renovate everything, and raise all the rents. Did, did they care about the displacement of the they tenants? They did, because some of the tenants been there 30 years. Wow. There's two sisters that been, when I bought it, they had been living next door to each other for 19 years. And then, then there was like an uncle, correct? Yeah, yeah. They had an, an older uncle that was living there too. And there's another lady that's been there for like 34 years. Wow. So they were really concerned about what's gonna happen to them, but they would just burn out on being landlords. So when they when they when they saw what I was doing, because they already saw my other project, they were like, okay, well, he seems to really care about the community. He has a different focus than anybody else we've talked to. And so that's why I was able to negotiate with them. Now they wasn't as easy. 
the Jewish guy let me get wanted ten percent down, right? Correct. They wanted fifty percent. They wanted fifty percent. <laughs> they wanted half a so right. they wanted like half a million. Yeah, so I talked them down from <laughs> one point five. I talked them down a quarter of a million on purchase price. So I ended up buying it. It went under contract at one point two million, one point two five. Oh, okay. And so they but they wanted six hundred thousand at closing. So I was able to put that together at closing. I I, I used some of my money and I had a, a private investor put up four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand. The guy that just sold the company. I was trying to find some way to have some impact investments. How, how do you get these connections, man? Like you man, got it's, it's just networking. It's just networking and talking and being in the right circles and presenting yourself the right way. Okay. And making sure that your your internet presence from your LinkedIn to your Facebook, your your Instagram, when somebody Googles you and you know, they want to look you up, you you've put the right information out there where they feel comfortable, like, okay, I I think I can I can deal with this person. How much of this like earn your leisure had to do with like your connections? Like a little bit or or at this point, um nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Uh, when I when I when I did the first interview with Earn Your Leisure, I was already uh almost finished with the townhouse project. Matter of fact, we did a live while I was on EYL. Correct. Yeah, and, I saw yeah. I saw all the all yeah. three of the episodes. Yeah, so that so that so, so that part was already done. <clears throat> but I do remember when I got the contract on this rental portfolio. I hit up MG, the mortgage guy. You know, oh, okay. And I was like, bro, I got this deal. And he's like, man, let's put up the money. We got it. And uh, But I, what I realized is like, I don't want to just do this in a small group. I wanted to dispel another myth that always comes up in our communities that we can't buy stuff. Like, we want to be mad at Oprah and LeBron and everybody for not, mm-hmm. or Jay-Z for not doing everything. I'm like, man, we got the money in our own neighbors to do this. So like, this is the perfect opportunity for me to show we can do this crowdfund model that Barack Obama uh, put into place for us doing it with that Jobs Act. Where anybody can invest uh, as little as one dollar, ten dollars, mm-hmm. and anybody. And before that, that's impossible because you had to be accredited to to pool your money with other people to buy multi-million dollar real estate deals. You had to accredited means you have to have an you have earned two hundred thousand dollars for the past two years as an individual, or three hundred thousand dollars years for the past two years as a couple, or you have to have a net worth over a million dollars, excluding your primary residence. So that eliminates. Majority of us from ever yeah. been able to invest in that. Like at least ninety percent. Right. So the Jobs Act now is like, okay, no, anybody can invest up to ten grand. So I'm like, okay, let me let me use that model for this. I'm like, because it's safe. It's an investment where if I take other people's money, we got long term residents. They're mm-hmm. not going nowhere. They want to stay. Mm-hmm. So it was bringing in like eleven grand a month at that point in time. So I'm like, cool. So if I do this and I crowdfund it, then day one I got revenue coming in where I can pay back the investors and they can people from the neighborhood can all say, hey, I own a piece of this. So that's what I did with that one. Uh, we. I raised a little over a million dollars in seven months just using social media. I didn't pay for no ads or nothing. I uh, was just doing like podcasts, uh, going on like the Black Wall Street pages, the Black Wealth Renaissance pages, then mm-hmm. reposting my stuff. And yes, yeah, so I raised over a million dollars about this whole portfolio. Now we protected all of these residents um, on this property. Haven't raised anybody's rents, like you said. Mm-hmm. But part of the portfolio was 18 houses, but it was two commercial buildings on Lyons Avenue, which used to be the business district for Fifth Ward before desegregation. So they were abandoned, vacant. So I'm like, okay, well, this is how I can increase the revenue on the property. So I renovated, I'm finished the renovation on one. It turns, turns into a short-term uh, event space, short-term rental. So it's like Airbnb where nobody spends a night. How much How much you making off of that? Six to 10 grand a month. 10 grand a month? Up to 10 grand a month, between wow. six and 10 grand a month. Okay. Because it's rented by the hour. So this same house is, is a 1,500 square foot house. If I would have just rented it out regularly, I probably would have got 1,500 a month for it. Okay. If I would have rented it to a business owner, say like a lawyer or something like that, um, I probably would have got maybe twenty five hundred a month. Hey. If I'd have put it on Airbnb, maybe four thousand a month. Okay. But peer space, short term hourly rentals at ninety five bucks an hour, 
it makes between six and ten grand a month. And um, I mean, it's it's a lot easier because and people use it for everything from office meetings, from training sessions to birthday parties to bridal showers, whatever. Yeah. Who who put you on that? Uh, my guy Isaac. 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 So, yeah. Um, he, he's uh, Chill Vibes on Instagram. He's a movie producer uh, and a music producer as well. Just just all around creative. And, but he's always leasing a lot of those spaces mm-hmm. for all his different production shoots. And so I actually was consulting with him on a project. And he's like, man, you turn this into a peer space. You make a whole lot of money. I didn't know nothing about it. But it ended up paying off. Ended up paying off. So we came up with a really, really dope design concept. Every room has a different feel. People just love the space. And so, like I said, people book it all the time. Okay. So you're from Port Arthur, right? Mm-hmm. So can you can you backtrack a little bit from like Port Arthur to and then you went to Memphis and then you working for the railroad? Mm-hmm. So can you like backtrack a little bit? Go from like you know yeah. from high school to to Houston yeah. to okay. so yes, yeah, so I was I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana. My mom and dad divorced. My mom moved to Port Arthur, Texas. Um, so I I did like third grade through ninth grade in Port Arthur. I ended up moving back to Lake Charles after that. Okay. I was also a teenage dad though. Oh, for so, real? Yeah. So at the end of my ninth grade year, I got how my, old were you? Got my girlfriend pregnant when, at the end of going in at the beginning of tenth grade. So I, I had my son when I was sixteen. Okay. So he's twenty two now. Okay. Well, he'll be twenty two in a few weeks in December. Um, and then I got a two year old daughter. But yeah, so I, I was back in Lake Charles for high school. For the majority of it, worked at Taco Bell because I had a kid, you know. <laughs> and then I uh, went to college for civil engineering at Southern University on a scholarship. And I got out and uh, I started working for the railroad, you know, doing like industrial terminal development, building railroad bridges, all that kind of stuff. But I hated it, man. It's, I felt like I was sold a dream because everybody tells you be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. I'm like, I'm gonna take the shortcut. Engineers are the only one that don't take four years. But 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 you was in buildings with like really, really, really prominent people, correct? When you was working for the railroad? Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. So, so a, a lot of people would've just settled for that. They would've, they would've yeah. been just good. Just... Oh, six figures. I was able to buy a house at 22. You mm-hmm. know, they gave me down payment on the house. I was able to buy a house. I was making good money. Uh, yeah, I was traveling. Everything was paid for. It was it was a good, comfortable job. But what I what I noticed is, I looked at my boss, and my boss's boss, and they made a lot more money than me. But they were still miserable. They they really didn't like their jobs. I'm not about to do this for 40 years. <laughs> you know, so the first year I started reading books, I was like, well, how do I get out of this? How do I hit reset on everything I've been taught? I feel like I've been brainwashed. So I got I got to rewash my brain, think differently. So I kept reading books. And real estate just kept coming up as like a great way for first generation of wealth to be created. Did, did, didn't you dibble dabble, dabble in the stocks a little bit? I did, yeah. The, the first thing I did, yeah. So when I was in training for the corporate job, um, we, were, we they sent us to Kansas City for like two months. And there was this black dude sitting by the pool every day just on his laptop. Yeah. And I'm like, man, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> so I went out there and talked to him. And he used to own a chain of gyms in Oklahoma. He sold them, but all he did was trade options all day. Now. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first my, my first exposure to thinking and growing rich, like like having a mindset that if I can I can apply what I know in my head, I can exchange that for money instead of exchanging all my time for money. What else were you reading at around around that time? Like, what? Uh, uh, I just started. I just read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's like everybody's like go to book. Yeah. No. I mean, it's 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 a very impactful book it's it the, the storylines are very simple and it really explains the difference between someone that can be highly educated that goes to work day in and day out but never builds any wealth versus someone who understands when you build a business you you can create wealth through that without even having an education correct you know, a formal education so yeah so that, that's what i was reading and uh yeah man the uh 
So so that guy was trading options. So I did that for a while, but that was 2006, 2008. Yeah. So when the stock market went to shit because all the because the recession. Recession, correct. Right. Like he stopped trading. I was like, okay, now I, I really gotta hit reset. So that's why I went back to real estate. I was like, okay, real estate is the thing to do. And when most people were scared of real estate in 2008, because everybody was losing houses, mm-hmm. if you're an investor, mm-hmm. it's the perfect time to get in. Because there's a whole bunch of deals out there. Correct. So that's when I got in, I started flipping houses then. So so you hopped in like during the, exactly during the recession? In 2008. Okay. Matter of fact, the first property I bought was from home investors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. Oh, for real? They had so much inventory that uh, they couldn't get rid of it. So the first house I bought, they actually had to bring $7,000 to closing just, <laughs> just to get it off their books. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the contractor that I used, he actually became my mentor because he was their contractor. Uh-huh. He was doing like 30, 40 houses for them a month. Correct. And so um, he became my mentor and like I would bring him to all the deals I was looking at to, to potentially flip. And, you know, he would tell me what was a good deal, what wasn't a good deal. Because as long as I'm making money, he's making money. So, so you was giving a percentage of the deals? Nah, I'm, I'm just paying him his regular, well, his regular contractor fee. You know, they, they, he, he pads it like 15% on top. So that's where he's making his profit. Oh, okay, okay. At. Yeah, but you know, it's an open relationship. I, I'm not counting his pockets. He's not counting mine. We're both making money. Are you still cool with him to this day? I still use him to this day. Even that peer space I'm talking about right now, he For did real? the reno- his team did the renovation on that 13 years strong. Man, you, you know how like, it, you know how crazy it is? Like, I, yeah. I literally got to cut my contractors out every two years because they, they see all the houses I'm getting yeah. and they, they, so they start charging me more. Nah, it's it's you know it's really about it's and, and the integrity of having the right team, bro. You know, and it's hard to find though. Correct. And but I and I've tried to go with cheaper contractors. I've tried to go with faster contractors, and it never works out. I just have I pay a little bit more, but it's like buying insurance, right? Correct. You got peace of mind. Everything's gonna be done right. You got to worry about. Do you got to worry about them stealing? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All that. Yeah. So back to the story. So so the stocks didn't work out. Now mm-hmm. you're in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um. What about that property in Memphis? Like you rented it out and then you that were was, like- th- That was my original house, right? Okay. And so what happened was when I finished my construction uh, project that I was working for with my company, mm-hmm. um, they were trying to send me to Canada for 10 years to work on new railroad terminals <laughs> up there. And I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. So I quit that railroad and I moved and worked for, um, I got a job with another railroad called uh, BNSF. Hold on, you, you, you didn't try to get them to buy you out or nothing? So- Yeah, I, I, went, I went there long enough for that. Oh, okay. And okay. I, actually, I, actually, I actually shortchanged them because I told you I went to school on a full scholarship. Yeah. They actually paid for me. Oh, so, so they paid for <laughs> Yeah, so they paid for me to go to school. I worked for them for one year and I quit. So, <laughs> so they were like pissed when, when you left. Yeah, they, they was upset when I left. But, I mean, you can't, can't let the people control your life. Exactly. I mean, they was mad for a week and they hired somebody else and life went on for them. Exactly. Business went on for them. Exactly. But most people get so caught up in that that they ruin their own lives to try to make a job. Try to be a company, man. Yeah, try to make a happy. Yeah, yep. so that wasn't for me. Um. So, yeah, so I, then I moved to Houston. But I still had the house in Memphis. And once again, that was in 2007, 2008. So I couldn't sell the house at that point in time. So I had Correct. to keep it. So as I'm reading all these books on real estate, uh, I got that house up there and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to sell it. And I can't sell it. So without even thinking about it, I'm like, well, I just got to hire a property management company to rent it out for me mm-hmm. until I can figure out what to do. And then three months later, they, they got a tenant in it and I'm getting checks every month for 350 on top. Like, so it was, it was the full mortgage payment. Uh, and 350 in profit on top of it. I'm like, damn. So I'm reading these books on real estate investing, and I got proof that it's actually working. Yeah. This is way out of state. I'm not touching it. Yeah. I'm not managing no tenants. Yeah. The property management company. Is, Something break. It's not. It's not. It's not your problem. Yeah. It's not my. Yeah. It's not my problem. The property management company covers that too. Correct. But I've said now I got a system in place that's printing me a, a what would be a minimum wage whole week worth of work. Yeah. You know. 
and I'm not doing nothing. So, so you you get mailbox money. Mailbox money. So for me, yeah. that's like that's confirmation. Real estate is where I need to be. Correct. But that's how I got started, and then right after that, I was like, okay, let me get into flipping houses. So that's that's how I started t- uh, networking with people. One of my frat brothers worked for home investors, so that's how I got the plug with them. That's how I bought the first house. That's dope. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're you're in a fraternity. Yeah, I'm on Omega. Omega Sci Fi. So how that work out? How that work out? Oh, bro, I love the I, I love the fraternity life. It's just a it's a it's a bond of uh people that you know have a similar mindset um and you know we're all about community we're about giving back we're about uh uplifting each other and um you know i respect all the fraternities man honestly um because we all have similar ideals and similar goals and missions mm-hmm. yeah can you explain C- csf csf what's that that was like a um i think you was talking about it um i think when you was at um uh, when you was at um that that uh when you was at InvestFish. CSF. I don't remember well, that. Well, never mind, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, what's CSF? What's CSF? Forget about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, oh, speak about uh, Barack Obama. Um, you said he changed something like that people could start buying. Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, the Jobs Act. The Jobs Act uh, implemented this new tier of crowdfunding where people can collectively invest in anything. It doesn't have to be real estate. It could be a business, it could be whatever. Um, so before you got things like GoFundMe where people could donate money, mm-hmm. but they really don't have ownership, right? But with crowdfunding, everybody can collectively invest and own a piece of it, right? And the, the original limit on those types of funds was like a little over a million dollars, 1,070,000. They just increased it to where you can raise up to $5 million that way. Okay. So for me, like with that first fund I was telling you about, I raised uh, the the full one million seventy in seven months, and that was fifteen hundred investors. Well, that project has gone so well that I now, I now have a waiting list of about twenty three hundred people that want to invest in the next one. So it ain't gonna take me seven months. The, the second I figure out the right project, I probably could raise two million dollars in a couple of days with people investing this little two hundred fifty dollars, you know, and collect it. So people put investing ten thousand. But what I like about it the most is like with my project. I got people from the community. I got I got seniors from the community. It's like I never thought I'd be able able to own a piece of my neighborhood. It's dope. And they were like they they like thank you because now I I can drive by this every day and say I'm an investor. I'm an owner in that. Correct. And they're like I don't want to sell. How do I pass these these ownership shares down to my kids or my grandkids? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but that's all because of the jobs act that Barack put in place that allows us to do that. You spoke about it. You said that every. Every city had it's basically its own Black Wall Street. Yeah, before before nineteen fifty seven, I mean, when everything was segregated, we had our, we had to have our own everything. We Correct. couldn't patronize nothing else. So you went. Everybody talks about Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but they talking about the one that got bombed, and that, that really that really bothers me a lot. Because you go to cities like Chicago, you got Bronzeville, you know, uh, the, the, the 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 Detroit had one. I think it was called the Bottom or something like that. Uh, but every city had a Black business district. And every city in those black business district, the the professors, the lawyers, the doctors, the business owners all lived in the community. Mm-hmm. And they had all this commercial property up and down these streets. Mm-hmm. The black banks, everything was there. And so, you know, for some reason, we don't talk about that. We, we forget about that. But, I mean, and when you go to the hood now and you see all these vacant commercial buildings, you Correct. forget that. Those once were thriving enterprises in our communities, like Third Ward, South Park, Sunnyside. Yeah, every, yeah, I mean, every city. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Houston has, Houston has like five different areas that was like that. Correct. 
Yeah, so um, and you said Fifth War, like the sixties, and it wasn't until the sixties and seventies, sixties and seventies when they when they put Fifty Nine there, and then everybody yeah. just started spreading out. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was when integration happened, when de- desegregation happened, uh, I guess the majority of our community felt like we had fought so hard to get the right to do things that we had to prove a point and go move and disperse and move all those neighborhoods. Correct. So we ended up abandoning a lot of people in our neighborhoods. Even when I had my open house for my new construction, Mm -hmm. there were some people that still lived in Fifth Ward whose parents actually owned businesses or they owned businesses. And they were like late, late seventies, early eighties. And they were talking about the anger they had towards towards their old neighbors and the old people, because they're like, y'all all all abandoned us. Y'all went to go move to Katy, Humble, Pearland, wherever. And y'all stopped supporting our businesses. So we had to close all our businesses. That's the part that we don't really talk about though. And so, so have you ever thought about doing like a documentary right there? Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about, too. That'd be real, real yeah, dope. Yeah, hey, I, hey, involve me, man. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so so you, you got that component of it. And then, yeah, so you got that, that disbursement. Then you have, I think Roosevelt was the president at the time when they were looking at doing all these highway systems throughout the United States. And, mm-hmm. of course, they, they want to go to pass the least resistance. So they go through all the black neighborhoods and run all the interstate highways through them. And so that's like the nail in the coffin for most cities. Uh, and from what I understand, 59... Um, they actually had to fight to even get an exit ramp to still get off in Fifth Ward because they were going to build a highway through, but nobody would even be able to get off and go to the business district street. Hey, for real? 100%. Damn. 100%. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of my projects now are like all in that same corridor. You know, I got that that crowdfunded project on one side of the freeway and I bought a church on the other side of the freeway. So I'm kind of saying I'm bridging that gap back. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what they did to us we can make an excuse. We can be historians and debaters and continue to talk about it, or we can be problem solvers and make mm-hmm. plans to implement things to bring it back to life. So that's all I'm focused on. So I'm just gonna ask you a couple more questions. So, what do you see yourself in five years? And then I'm gonna do like a "what do you prefer" type questionnaire thing. Mm-hmm. In five years, I'll have, I will have solved all of the myths about gentrification. All of the things that we say that are impossible to do in our community. I will have a case study to say I have done every single one of them. The only one I have not touched yet is existing property owners that own their property outright, but then property taxes go up so high where they can no longer afford it and they lose their property. That's happening right now. Like yeah. in- so it's, it's two ways to control it. Number one, family, uncle, cousin, brother, daughter, sister. If you see grandma, can't afford the taxes, y'all all chip in. Y'all pay it. Whoever puts in what, whenever grandma passes, y'all sell the house or whatever you're going to do, everybody gets a return on their investment based off of how much they chipped in, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, uh, I'm working with city, the city councilwoman for the district right now. In other cities like Baltimore, they already have uh, programs in place where if you're a senior or you've owned your house for longer than 10 years, when a lot of redevelopment comes to community, you're exempt from the same level of property tax increase that everybody else has. So grandma is not going to be impacted by all the million dollar homes coming up around it because our property taxes are going to stay pretty low. Mm-hmm. So if we implement that in the city, then I've solved that too. So, you know, I solved how to bring higher incomes back to the community without displacing people. I've solved how to keep the renters in the community by buying the rental portfolios. And I, I, I'm working on the, the, you know, local municipal legislation to prevent the property taxes from going up so high on people that they can't afford. Okay. And then speak speak a little bit about your podcast coming up. I want you to like you know tell everybody to okay. look forward to that. Yeah, so I'm calling it the Weekly Synagogue. It's just gonna be like me uh, weekly uh, having different guests on in different areas of whatever we need for our community. Um, and I realize that 
there's a deficit amongst uh, all of us to really understand what a complete community is and what it what it's going to take for us to get it back. So like some of my some of my guests are going to be uh, you know criminal court judges that are black that look like us. Uh, police chiefs that look like us. It's going to be investors, developers that look like us. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about all the things we really need in our community to to build a complete community again so that we don't have to spend so much time protesting and fighting and uh, trying to convince other people to give us what we want. But we got the power within ourselves to create these neighborhoods, create these communities on our own. Who's like your top five guests you want on, on your podcast? Man, I don't even know if I have a top five. I ain't going to lie. Okay. It's, it, it's so many great people, bro, and so many people that uh, do a lot of things. If the top five I would probably name would be people you never heard of, but okay. that, because I deal with I, in my network, I have so many powerful, successful people that fly below the radar mm-hmm. that I'm like, man, you need some exposure. Like people need to understand that you exist because we don't think it's possible, you know. So those are the type of people I really want to bring to the forefront. Yeah, I know yeah. a guy named Craig. He like mm-hmm. mentored me a little bit when I first started. He owns literally 50, 50 houses in South Park. Mm-hmm. I took him to lunch one time with me and my wife and my father, right. and he just like just ran the whole play. Right. And he, I don't think anybody, He, I think he owned a lot of part of the museum district as well. Yeah. So I want to have him on my, on my podcast real soon if I could get yeah. a, I think he changed his number if I could get back a hold of him. Yeah, man, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, like those type of people need exposure. Like we, they, they may not want the celebrity, but we need them so that the culture understands it's possible. Like that girl that, that girl that bought up that water, the water, uh, the water uh, supply over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in New York, New Jersey. Okay. And then she was on InvestFish. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I forgot yeah. what her name yeah, is. Yeah, yep, yep. I mean that, that, that type of example, and that's what I love about EYL on your leisure, man. They they giving us a lot of exposure to a lot of different things that's really important for the community. Correct. Yeah. All right, let me let me do this little like what who you prefer real quick. Okay. And then, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, hold on one second. It just I don't know what just happened. Houston or Port Arthur? Uh, Houston. Houston. Okay. <laughs> a rental property or flip? That's a tough one. A rental property in the right area. Okay. Uh, land or house? Land. 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 Okay. Money or equity? Uh, damn. So you can leverage money to get a lot more equity. I'm gonna go money. Go money. Okay. Two million followers or one rental? Two million followers. Two million followers? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, be, with the right followers that are engaged in what you're doing. Like I said, I, with less than 100000 I raised over a million dollars. Okay. Uh, third ward or fifth ward? Fifth ward right now. Fifth ward? Fifth ward, 100%. Section 8 or regular tenant? Uh, Section 8 or regular tenant. Um, damn, that's a tough one. I would say, it, I mean, it depends. Uh, I'm probably gonna go with I go with regular tenant though. Okay. Some of us are gamble with Section Eight. I mean, it's guaranteed money, but some some I've had those tenants. And some of them don't really take the best care of the property. Okay. But but I mean, a regular tenant can do the same thing too. So. Yeah. Uh, EYL or Breakfast Club. Mm, EYL, hundred <laughs> percent. Right. All the all the entertainment stuff is cool, and like it's 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 cool to hear the interviews of people that are successful rappers, actors. But man. The financial literacy is because we've always been able to entertain our community. Correct. And we've always had people that was individual, individually millionaires and successful. So interviewing them is cool, but to have a platform where they really educating everybody on how to get a bag and how to be more financially 
prosperous. That's a whole different level. Yeah. A whole different level. Yeah. Man, thank you, man. I yeah. appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. No problem. I appreciate the invite, man. Right. This is this is great. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Y'all have a nice day. All right.